Welcome to the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. For over 30 years, Paul Stone has been seriously handicapping college football, college basketball, and PGA Tour golf. Over the past five seasons, spanning almost 600 releases, Paul has hit 55% against the spread in college football, gaining the respect of sports books and bettors throughout the world. He is monitored by highly respected the Sports Monitor of Oklahoma City. Paul has also won two major Las Vegas football handicapping contests and finished in the top four in two others. Each week, Paul will provide exclusive handicapping insights on the podcast. To receive Paul's exact picks each week, you can sign up for member-only access at paulstonesports.org. Now, on to the show. All right, welcome to the episode 11 of the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. This one's going to be entitled The All-You-Can-Eat Sports Betting Buffet. I appreciate you being with me today. And then there were less than four weeks remaining, today being... Tuesday, August 3rd, uh, late afternoon Central Time as I uh, tape this podcast. We have just 25 days until the 2021 college football season kicks off on Saturday, August 28th with a five-game mini schedule highlighted by a Big Ten conference game, Nebraska traveling to Illinois to battle the Fighting Illini and first-year head coach Brett Bielema. And then we also have on that card Hawaii heading east to the mainland to tangle with the UCLA Bruins at the historic Rose Bowl. I've been to a lot of college football stadiums, have have been lucky to do so, and the Rose Bowl, my favorite stadium of them all. Uh, Beautiful, uh, just setting there, a vista of the San Gabriel Mountains, a great setting for college football. So, folks, anyway, we're getting close. College football just around the corner. So, On to today's podcast, episode 11 again, the all-you-can-eat sports betting buffet. So let's get right to the theme of this week's podcast. Prior to the repeal of PASPA, uh, the so-called Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act, there were plenty of wagering options for inquiring sports bettors. Uh, You know, there were a lot of different uh, ways to bet, maybe not as many states to bet, but a lot of different ways to bet. The PASPA, uh, as most of you probably know, was repealed slightly more than three years ago in May 2018, and that opened the door for states other than Nevada to offer sports betting. Uh, so while you know many types of, again, wagering options were already readily available, the better's plate now completely runneth over now that we have all these different states legalized in offering sports betting. There are so many different uh, types of bets, so many new markets, almost uh, too many to really even mention. I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be an expert on all of them. Uh, I haven't uh, closely examined, studied, uh, and investigated all the different derivative and other markets. Uh, It would be inaccurate uh, to take or promote the position that none of these markets have value because some of them do. And there are some highly advanced, highly sophisticated sp- sports bettors who spend a lot of time at attempting to and successfully beating these markets. Uh, and although, you know, betting limits in some of these smaller markets can be relatively low, a person who dedicates much of their handicapping energies to beating them 
you know, probably again can compile enough advantages to overcome those higher hold percentages. So the general message of this podcast is not to advise fellow sports bettors to religiously avoid each and every one of the many new sports betting options, but rather to advise you to trudge lightly, to choose carefully what you ingest in your sports betting diet. It is, after all, an all-you-can-eat sports betting buffet. It is a smorgasbord of an unlimited selections, uh, selection of meat, sweets, salads, seafood. You maybe even have a few vegetables, hopefully even a few green ones, not heavily lathered in real butter. We've all pulled up uh, to our, our favorite all-you-can-eat buffet, the real thing, uh, perhaps one of the top ones there in Vegas, uh, with a growling stomach, uh, a huge appetite, and perhaps quite vulnerable to the numerous uh, selections that you find there. All of us have probably made the mistake of not first fully examining all of the offerings on the buffet before beginning to make our choices. This can be a bad decision. In the end, uh, after we've got our plate, you know, that plate only has so much area. After we've loaded the absolute maximum amount of food that we can onto that plate, we almost have to hire a U-Haul truck to transport it back to our padded booth where for the next hour we're going to hear that familiar refrain, Kino, Kino, (laughs) Uh, as we graze uh, and uh, tackle, you know, probably what amounts to what should be probably a week's worth of calories. What's happened here? What's happened to this example? You know, I'll tell you what's happened Our eyes were bigger than our stomach. We entered the process overly excited, overly stimulated. Then we failed to thoroughly assess the overall choices. We ultimately operated from an overly aggressive perspective rather than a finely tuned, well-executed, conservative approach. We ended up with too much skin in the game. We overextended ourselves. And ultimately, we chose quantity over quality which is usually a bad idea no matter what the endeavor. And, you know, maybe none more so than than in sports betting. Don't choose quantity over quality. It's much better in this arena to be lean and mean. You know, I, I say, sure, there's a winner in every game. And whatever your kryptonite, you know, sometimes we're vulnerable. We make errors in judgment. We end up with too much food on our plate. Or in this case... Too many betting tickets in our pockets. So I believe in general terms, you know, it's wise to condense our betting options. You know, your portfolio in the end might not be uh, as sexy uh, or as much of a conver- you know, conversation starter, perhaps, as the guy who has a pocket full of futures and some cross-sport parlays and other exotic-style wagers, uh, none of which have a high or I should say most of which rather have a high theoretical hold advantage for the sports book and therefore not really in our best interest. As I sometimes tell people, I really don't even like to bet, I like to win. You know, when the guy in front of me, and this is true, when the guy in front of me at the convenience store buys a handful of lottery tickets, I literally cringe. You know, the odds are are so stacked against him and he, he probably needs that money for you know, shelter and food for, uh, you know, his wife and, and, and child or children at home. 
you know, now in some of these multi-state lotteries, I will, you know, there are exceptions to, to everything, to every rule. When some of these multi-state lotteries, uh, for instance, when they reach historic high levels, you know, it still might not be an overlay, but it at least makes more sense, you know, to enter the market at that point. There's a real high payout. The odds are better for you. So it's really true. You know, that's the truth. I really don't like to bet. You know, I like to instead invest when I believe I have an accumulation of advantages large enough to offset and even maybe in some cases exceed the house's theoretical hold percentage. And still, to my knowledge, you know, there's no way when you make a bet to truly quantify one's advantage. You know, rather I'm using years of experience and expertise to give what I hope is a really educated opinion. But it's still, you know, somewhat subjective uh, as far as the probability, you know, of an occurrence or result. You know, people sometimes ask me, give me your, you know, your sure thing this week. Give me your lock, Stone. What's your lock of the week? And when they do this, as I hope you do, I'm almost at a loss for words. I don't even know how to respond to this. You know, the most appropriate response would probably be to advise them to quit betting on sports because they're not going to be a long-term winner. They might win some weekends. They might win a few weekends in a row. But long-term, with that type of mentality, they're not going to be long-term winners. You know, this thing, again, it's a grind. And I hate to say this, but few people truly win long-term. And that's not so much because of a lack of knowledge necessarily, but perhaps more due to a lack of discipline and understanding. So there are no locks. I think you know this. Uh, you know, I'm not one either. I'm not saying that you don't range your bets sometimes. I do have a few bets each year that are, you know, somewhat larger than my typical unit size. But I'm not one to, to wildly, you know, range my bet size. Most of my plays are pretty much in the same range. I'm trying to hit that 55% standard, and I've been pretty fortunate to get close to it or even exceed it in most of the last several years. And done really good in uh, college football. But there are no sure things. As I like to say, a bet is a bet is a bet. Uh, when I do like, you know, a, a certain play, maybe at a higher amount, you know, I often like to frame it this way. By my research, my standard play, just an average play, may have a 54 to 55% chance of beating the spread, of covering against the spread. The standout play, though, this play I like at a higher amount, might have, say, a 58% chance of winning. So it's going to still lose at a rate of slightly more than two out of every five times. But a 58% play, that's a heck of a heck of a play. Again, this is a grind, folk. Uh, it's a grind. Uh, it's it's uh, hard work. Uh, it's determination. You know, it's a lot of uh, mind-numbing research. And, and sometimes you got to take a break because you're just, uh, you know, you got to, uh, you know, catch your breath and just get yourself together. Uh, you know, you go to the sports book, and, and these kind of guys don't win either. You know, loud talking, chest pounding, thirty somethings. You know, full of false bravado and bloody marys. You know, they don't win over the long run. You know, those people don't run. They're just in it for for whatever they're in it for. You know, the person who who wins is going to be the person again who's willing to spend countless hours, you know, reading and doing uh, all this research with an even disposition. This person's going to have the uncanny ability to know what to leave in and what to leave out to post long-term winnings. And even that person, that person's still going to suffer periods of losing. 
Uh, this racket is Jimmy Vaccaro down at the South Point might call it. It's full of peaks and valleys. You know, and at the end of the year, or years for that matter, you add them up and you hope that the peaks collectively outnumber the valleys because there's going to be a lot of both. We're going to go to the uh, golf tournament now, which uh, there's a couple of stops. The primary stop uh, that is about a 65-player no-cut field uh, is the WGC FedEx St. Jude Invitational play this week at TPC Southwind in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm going to take a shot at a full tournament matchup between a pair of countrymen, uh, Matt Fitzpatrick and Terrell Hatton. Uh, you know, when you're handicapping golf matchups, two things you always take a hard look at, and they're going to be current form and course history. And Matt Fitzpatrick, he has the upper hand over Tyrell Hatton on both fronts in this matchup. Uh, the FedEx St. Jude event, it became a WGC event actually two years ago. So they have played it in 2019 and then again last year in 2020. In those years, Fitzpatrick has finished sixth and fourth those past two events. Shot a cumulative 20 under par. You look at Hatton, meanwhile, uh, in those two WGC events at TPC Southwind, he's finished 69th and 43rd in this limited um, field, no-cut event. He shot a collective seven over par in his four rounds there. So Fitzpatrick, uh, in his uh, last two years there, over eight rounds is 20, un- uh, 20 under par. And then I said seven over par for Hatton in his last four rounds is actually eight rounds, the same eight rounds that Fitzpatrick is 20 under. Hatton is seven over. If you look at kind of recent form this year, the last few months, the Players' Championship, players kind of consider that almost as the fifth major, and you've probably heard that before. So if you look at similar big events, I'm going to add the Players' Championship to the four majors. Fitzpatrick has made the cut in all five of those events this year. Hatton's only made the cut in two of five. His form, although he's been one of the better players in the world and certainly one of the better players in Europe at times, he's missed the cut again uh, in three of those five events. He's just not in uh, the kind of current, uh, you know, the form that he's been in historically over most of the last several years. Very temperamental golfer when he's not right. Uh, Sometimes his his temper uh, can get the best of him. I recommend in this uh, matchup again, full tournament matchup in the WGC event there in Memphis, Tennessee, take Matt Fitzpatrick minus 131 over Tyrell Hatton. So back to the all-you-can-eat sports betting buffet. Uh, But first of all, I want to throw in a few random Paul Stoneisms. So let's don't go quite back to the buffet yet as I take a quick drink of water. These Paul Stoneisms, they're going to be nuggets of info that are, that are my opinion. You know, they are my opinion, so they're not fact, but based on years of experience again. I saw a poll on Twitter, uh, I believe it was yesterday, on Monday, and the question essentially asked persons to give one piece of betting advice. These are the ones kind of that I took exception to. One respondent, first of all, answered, always by the hook. Uh, perhaps he, he was trying to spell never and it got spell checked to always. <laughs> but in general terms, in my opinion, you should never buy the hook. And some people are going to disagree with this. But again, my perspective is more from college football than the NFL. 
you would certainly, I don't think you would ever do it in college football. Maybe there are sometimes you might do it in the NFL on those key numbers, key margins of victory. But in college football, the final, res, final results, you know, they have a greater degree of variance in the key margins of victory, you know, three, four, six, seven, and 10. They're simply not as key. Uh, and correspondingly, when you buy the hook, you're adding to your total personal handle and you're reducing your rate of return. So, you know, you're going to remember the times you buy the hook and it works to your benefit. But in the end, I believe the mathematics simply don't support, uh, you know, buying the hook as a viable long-term winning strategy. And again, I know uh, a lot of people are probably, or at least some people are probably going to disagree with that. Another piece of advice that I saw on this Twitter poll that caught my eye, always bet the over. You know, first of all, let me say this. A lot of games do indeed go over, you know, almost half, in fact. Uh, plus, I acknowledge that the majority of fans slash bettors, uh, note that I put fan first, probably have, you know, somewhat of a predisposition to bet the under, or rather to bet the over, because it's more natural for them, if you will, you know, to, to root for scoring in a, a sporting event rather than to root against scoring. But I'm not trying to help people become the ultimate sports fan. You know, anybody can put on the team's logo, uh, paint their face, you know, and blindly support the, you know, their favorite team through thick and thin and what have you. We're trying to become the ultimate sports better. And the under position in totals betting is the position that pros find themselves in more often than not. You know, first of all, the line maker understands the general betting public prefers betting overs, so the line is typically typically going to be, you know, ever so slightly shaded in that direction, giving a little bit of advantage, a small amount to the under. Also, you know, important to remember again, I want to I want to add this that my perspective, I know I touched on it a little bit ago, but my perspective perspective uh, is somewhat general, but again, primarily based on college sports, specifically college football and college basketball. I under the, understand, you know, that the NFL is turned into somewhat of a, a score fest. You know, in fact, the 2020 uh, season was the highest scoring season in league history. So there are exceptions to every rule. And uh, again, apply this more to college football than you would the NFL game. Again, keep your eyes open. There are exceptions to every rule. Uh, do your due diligence, do your work. Now let's get back to the all-you-can-eat sports betting buffet. You know, how do I personally, how does Paul Stone manage his betting appetite? You know, what safeguards or processes do I have in place to protect myself from overbetting, which results in a miserable feeling? This feeling can sometimes last even hours after the final whistle is blown over betting. You want to stay away from it. First of all, I'm going to carefully study the menu of options and determine which and how many items I'm going to place on my betting plate. You know, sure, a lot of these offerings are going to appeal to my eyeballs and taste buds, but I'm going to remain selective to protect myself from overindulgence. Remember the key to successfully navigating the sports betting buffet is sometimes not so much a function of what you pile onto your plate, but more so a function of what you don't put on your plate. Besides some of those, you know, besides some of the choices, you know, whether it be, you know, maybe 
indulging in a certain sport or a certain type of bet, these choices have caused you flatulence in the past. They've caused you bloating in the past. And as I sometimes like to say, when you're betting sports and you're in this arena, past performance is the best indicator of future results. To add, I like to you know kind of add this to that past performance is the best indicator of future results. Expect to get what you've always gotten until you get something different. So avoid those items, again, that have perhaps been too rich, you know, too greasy for your personal constitution uh, in the past. You know, I personally avoid future pools, parlays for the most part. These, again, in my opinion, the payouts do not meet the probabilities. Future pools have extremely high theoretical hold advantages, so I avoid those. They are not good for me. Uh, I don't want to be miserable after being at the all-you-can-eat sports betting buffet. So in a nutshell, you want to carefully study the menu. You know, develop a plan. Be selective and don't overbet. You know, here's another nugget uh, along those lines. Um, And this is kind of random, but if you have a full game bet that is leading big at the half and likely going to get you back to the window in another hour or two, Should you make a second-half wager uh, on the other side going for a middle? You know, I think if the opportunity for a middle is significant, uh, I I sometimes personally I'm going to bet up to maybe half of my original full-game wager, but rarely more. Uh, I had a guy one time, a longtime sports better who still lives there in Vegas. Uh, His opinion is one that I value. He once told me, and I quote, you don't want to turn one winner into a winner and a loser. End quote. And I think that's a great piece of advice. Uh, in the spirit also of painting a, a complete picture on this hypothetical scenario, if you do make this, you know, this hedge, even a conservative hedge at the half, when you have a, a favorable, you know, position with a large opportunity for a middle, it does provide you with some insurance. You know, should the unexpected happen and the losing team at the half, you know, unexpectedly uh, storms back and ends up being the full game winning side. You know, we've all seen this in betting sports. The unexpected can happen. Some people uh, refer to those types of occurrences as bad beats. I don't like to use that word too much. You know, it all comes out even in the wash. So I don't like to, when I lose, I don't like to, um, even though they hurt and they sting and they maybe were improbable and really shouldn't have happened, I try to stay away from those type of uh, uh, references. So that's going to be a wrap on episode 11 of the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Don't put too much on your betting plate. Uh, We just got a little bit of time before uh, college football season kicks off this Saturday. It's going to be three weeks. Can't wait. This is a time to start working even harder on your preparation for the new college football season. Good luck with that research. Get up early. uh, Do your work. Hope you have a great season and hope you will, will take time maybe to visit uh, my website and see what's there. My website being paulstonesports.org. And also, if you would uh, follow me on Twitter, Twitter, my Twitter handle, at paulstonesports. Until next time, I'm Paul Stone. Thank you for listening to the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. 
Make sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And visit paulstonesports.org to sign up for member-only access to Paul's college football, college basketball, and PGA Tour golf picks and predictions. 